Pound the Rock is brought to you by the Score Bet. Take advantage of lightning fast score updates and live odds to ensure you never miss a beat when you've got skin in the game. Download now on iOS and Android. Available in Colorado, Indiana, Iowa, and New Jersey. Must be 21 plus. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, contact 1-800-522-4700 in Colorado, 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa, 1-800-9-WITH-IT in Indiana, or 1-800-GAMBLER in New Jersey. Visit thescore.bet for more details. Welcome to Pound the Rock, the Score's NBA podcast. My name is Joseph Cacharo. Still no Joe Wolfon, but very happy, thrilled that for episode 231, while the usual fellow co-host Joe Wolfon isn't around, one of the originals, the founding member of Pound the Rock, when we had a holy trinity of hosts, co-hosts here at Pound the Rock, William Liu. Will, how the hell are you? I'm doing great, man. You know, I always love... Um, you know, doing this, obviously it was great that, you know, we were able to start the show at the score and, um, I love that you guys, you know, have kept it going. Uh, I love seeing where the show has gone. Obviously I continue to listen, seeing some of the guests you brought on, you know, loved hearing those Matt Bonner stories, you know, and no, it's, 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 it's amazing. Honestly, just like even seeing the two of you guys, like less so you, cause you were already doing like OG fans really know about the Raptor blog. Days, Raptor Blog Radio. I know you probably weren't expecting me to say that, but like just seeing you and especially Wolf on like find your voices in the in the podcasting space has been super cool. So any any role I played in that, man, I'm I'm more than happy. Appreciate you, brother. And uh, as it, for I mean, all of our Raptors fans listening already know, but for any um, you know general NBA fans tuning in, might not be from Toronto or whatever. Uh, Will currently hosts the Raptors show with William Liu Monday to Fridays. On Sportsnet 590, uh, the fan radio station in Toronto, just post game work as well. Still, those written work, obviously breaking down the raps like no one else. The Bonner thing, I had a lot of fun doing that one. Just hearing hearing someone from inside the huddle with Greg Popovich and like kind of sharing these stories about Pop was fascinating for me. So I'm glad to hear you and uh, other people who listened had fun with it too. Um, we're gonna have fun today talking raps. That's right. We're gonna pound the rock, but we're gonna we're gonna pound the rock. We're gonna find that boulder, Dwayne Casey chipped. With his bare hands off some, I don't know where it was from in Northern Ontario. Dwayne did not do it with his bare hands. But anyway, we're going to talk Raptors today. I think the funny thing is that, I guess it's not that funny for us because we know we know the way the Raptors fan base can be. We know how Raptors Twitter can be. But like locally, it does still feel like there's a bit of angst with how the season has been up and down and streaky. But in terms of, you know, for people that aren't Raptors fans, if you just look at this from an objective point of view... The Raptors are still one of the five most positively surprising teams in the league when you compare preseason expectations or at least Vegas win totals compared to how it's actually gone. What have your thoughts been on the season at large? Still a couple weeks to go. Obviously, you don't know how it's going to shake out, but what you've seen from the team at large, from the organization, are you in that kind of local angst and you know bothered or concerned by the streakiness of this team? Or are you more in line with the... Um, let's say like objective non-Toronto observers who see this as a pleasant surprise of a season. Yeah, I think, look, when you're bogged down with the day-to-day like me, and and to be honest, when you're like as uh, emotionally invested in the Raptors as I am, uh, I think obviously there's going to be a roller coaster. And I think this has been a roller coaster season for the Raptors. Like they've had separate win streaks of five games, six games, eight games. Like 
you know, they, they kind of are this team that has been um, streaky at times. And I think obviously when you're in those win streaks, you feel amazing. And then, of course, when you drop a couple of games, you know, losing to the Lakers and Russell Westbrook hitting a ridiculous uh, <laughs> last second shot to make it to go to OT after stealing the ball. Um, you know, it's hard not to sort of like be emotional about that. But I think at the same time, anybody who's objective, I think even even for people within the Raptors fan base, they will have to tell you that this has been, at least so far, like much better than anyone really expected from this team. I think you probably have like the most optimistic observers and fans will probably tell you that, well, you know, look, this team was underrated by Vegas. I think their win total coming into the season was 35 and a half. Yeah. Like, I mean, come on, they're already past that. They're at 40 wins now. There's another 10 games to go in the season. Like, you've already exceeded those expectations. But I think it's sort of just like there have just been really, really important breakouts across the roster. I think, number one, it really starts with the fact that Fred has stepped into that leadership role. You know, he made the All-Star game. Of course, of late, he's been dealing with a knee injury that doesn't seem to be healing despite him resting. And so that's a big issue of concern. But, of course, the first half of the season, this guy was an All-Star, right? That's already really really good for what people expected out of fred especially coming in and replacing kyle and how difficult that was going to be pascal has returned from the shoulder surgery and is playing the best basketball of his career there's now like he's in that like in contention for all nba third team at this point um and then scotty barnes is just like much better than anybody really predicted i mean i think there were a lot of people who were high on scotty obviously he went fourth overall it wasn't like he was some sort of like um, this wasn't the, the Raptors scoop Pascal at 27 or OG yeah. at 24 or, you know, undrafted for Evan Fleet. Like, this is a highly touted prospect play for Team USA. Like, you know. It's a guy LeBron's been watching since the seventh grade, for Christ's sake. <laughs> That's Come on. right, man. LeBron saw this guy at 12 and was like, I'm going to be going toe-to-toe with him in Toronto where he's going to put 31, 17, and 6 on me. But, like, he has been so much better than almost anybody has even expected out of him right out of the gate. His scoring has been really strong, and that was the aspect where it was like, well, defensively, he'd be really sharp. He can pass the ball, and those things he's done a good job of. Defensively, he could probably do a little better, quite honestly, but uh, the scoring has just been something that has been um, such a pleasant surprise, and it's given the Raptors a situation where they can have five guys in the starting lineup, one healthy. Everybody averages more than 15 points. Uh, Anybody is a threat to give you 20 on every given night, and you know, when the Raptors are fully healthy, they've been able to compete with anybody. They have one of the best records in the Eastern Conference in terms of above 500 teams. So this is a very competitive team, and it's been really, really positive to see. Yeah, they have a winning record against 600-plus teams as well. And their preferred starting lineup, Fred Van Vliet, Gary Trent, Scotty Barnes, uh, OG Ananobi, and Pascal Siakam has only played 18 of 72 games together. And they went 12-6 and six in those games. I don't think those numbers will surprise anyone. I think, and you touched on it with the performances of the guys you spoke about. I think Scotty's the biggest one, but I think to me, that's the reason why this season is, I don't know whether you call it a pleasant surprise, depending on what your expectations are, but are a positive in Toronto. And that's why to me, this season was a positive one for the Raptors and, and already has been. We'll see how they finish it off because I think, look, realistically, you can come into a season and know whether a team at the very least has like title aspirations or not i don't even the most optimistic raptors fan wasn't coming into this specific season thinking this team was in it to compete for a title right now in 2022 i think the way you have to look at it is like is the team better positioned now than they were at the beginning of the season are they further along than they were at the beginning of the season i think the question is an easy hell yes and i think it's also about like how you get to the end point right so say you know it, it looks like they'll probably end up with about 46 47 wins based on the way the season's gone 
It's about how you get to that end point. If they got to 46, 47 wins because Fred and Pascal played pretty well, but Scotty looked in over his head. Precious Achua looked like, you know, um, a, a, a likely failed project. If just for whatever reason, like, you know, if Gary Trent didn't look like a guy that could potentially live up to the contract they gave him, like if all those things happen and they still found their way to 46, 47 games, 47 wins, then I think you can look at it and be like, yeah, they overachieved in the win department, but they didn't actually have a good season like organizationally. I think the way the Raptors have gotten to this end point, I don't think you can call that anything but a success. And it begins and ends with the fact that barring something unforeseen happening, Scotty Barnes looks like the absolute real deal. Like Scotty Barnes, when you talk about ceiling, he looks like the type of talent and the type of potential superstar that championship teams are eventually built around. At the very least, that perennial contenders are eventually built around. So that's one. Precious Achua, especially in this latter half of the season, you know, even if he never projects as a star, definitely in year two at his age with, you know, not a lot of development behind him, looks like a guy that should be, could be a pretty damn good NBA player and a good two-way player at that. Gary, look, Gary is always going to be a streaky player by nature of his shot selection. But again, Gary Trent at the very least looks like a player more than worth that contract and someone that can, at his age, at 23, whatever it is, can either be part of the Raptors' future or a guy that is easily movable in a deal for something bigger. Pascal Siakam, at least, you know, they've learned that that All-NBA team two years ago wasn't a fluke. Like, all these things line up in a way where it's like, regardless of whether they ended up with 40, 43, 46, the way they got to this point makes it a successful season in my eyes. Yeah. Look, well, I think the expectations right now are so much different than expectations coming into the season. And I right. think maybe it's important to sort of go back and look at some of those, right? Like, cause the conversations coming into the season was like, okay, how do you replace Kyle? Right. Not just in terms of the encore production, but um, we're looking at a situation where, um, you know, he's obviously a great leader. He's a great player. What are you going to do there? Right. Um, with Pascal Siakam, there was a lot of talk of like, not from the Raptors. I don't think anything from locally, even in Toronto. But there was a lot of like, hey, should the Raptors trade Pascal? And should we get him, you know, to Golden State for James Wiseman and, and James Moody? And and and, and maybe you, you, you put in um, Kaminga or, or Moses Moody, sorry. And, yeah. you know, you have uh, you, you throw in Jonathan Kaminga. And it's like, well, that's not a good trade for the Raptors. I don't really see why you would do that unless you would think they want to tank. Or like, hey, maybe you trade Pascal for Ben Simmons. And you know, all this other stuff. And it's like, you know, you had that conversation going on. I think the skepticism around Scotty Barnes, I think a lot of people wanted Jalen Suggs as well. And they were looking at, well, you lose a guard in, in Kyle. Maybe you bring in a guard in return. You know, you bring in another forward. Is there some more overlap with him? You know, Pascal and OG. I remember even on draft night. Not that like, look, draft, draft analysis, especially live draft analysis, often tends to look hilarious in retrospect. But, like, I think as soon as Scotty was picked, Kendrick Perkins was like, yeah, that means Pascal's going to be traded. And it's like, that's the that's the national conversation that's happening around uh, Pascal. Maybe it wasn't happening as much locally, but that was the national conversation. And and I think now when you're seeing the Raptors at 40 wins, when you're seeing the fact that guys are showing a lot of growth, as you mentioned, Gary Trent, OG is showing nice things, although he's been really um, out of the He just needs to stay healthy. Yeah. But, I mean, clearly he can do some things. I think Pascal has returned to just all NBA levels. I mean, this is – he may or may not go on the all-NBA team this year, whatever. I I don't think it's, like, a travesty if he doesn't make it. But also, at the same time, like, he's playing better right now than he was two years ago when he won all-NBA. He's been an all-NBA caliber player two of the last three seasons, we could say. Yeah. 
Yeah. And then Fred has been, uh, you know, made it to an all-star level. You got guys on the roster. You might be looking back at the season where the Raptors were in Tampa. You might just look back at that season as a blip because the Raptors were a consistent 40, 48 to like 59 win team for like eight years. Obviously, that culminated in the championship. Obviously, that culminated in them making and winning a whole bunch of playoff rounds or whatever like that. But like this is a very successful team. And you might look at the one year in Tampa where all, everything went against them. There was like two weeks for the entire organization. I'm not just talking about players and coaches. I'm talking about like training staff, like the the, the media team. Every, like It's just like the whole entire basketball organization had to move on two weeks' notice to Tampa in the middle of a pandemic, and they don't play well. There's no fans in the building. When they had fans, people were chanting, like, we want Taco when the, when the Celtics were here. Yeah. Like, you know, you go through that season and you get Scotty Barnes out of it, and all of a sudden there are there is no more talk of the Raptors rebuilding. No. Like, that kind of ended, like, basically by January. <laughs> it was, like, very clear the Raptors are a very competitive team at that point. There's no more talk about, you know, trading your veterans for, for, for pieces or anything like that. In fact, the Raptors went out and actually added at the trade deadline. They were buyers. So we might look back at the season as not quite the Spurs tanking that one year and getting Tim Duncan because, you know, that's just an outrageously good yeah. outcome. But something along those lines, a lesser version of that, where yeah. the Raptors go to Tampa and they come back with Scotty Barnes and they're, they're back to winning 40-plus games. Yeah, you called it a blip and... and- but I think you were alluding to also the fact that it was also a blessing in disguise. It was a blip, yes, but it was also a blessing in disguise. Yeah. And I don't, obviously, look, as you mentioned, with these are like real people, even more so than just the players who are obviously themselves real people. But this is like an organization having to get up and move and be away from their family. So, you know, I don't want to at all like minimize or trivialize like the very personal sacrifice made. And, you know, I'm sure that was a struggle that like a lot of the people involved wish they could have had back, you know, more time with their family. So I don't want to minimize that. But from a basketball perspective, I don't think you can call that season anything but a blessing in disguise Mm -hmm. because the fact that they ended where they were and got the lottery position they did ended up with Scotty Barnes. You mentioned like no one's really talking rebuild. Yeah, because for the most part, teams tank and rebuild to get a talent like Scotty Barnes, even once, you know, and the Raptors did it at that one shot. Look, even the Gary Trent thing, if the Raptors season in Tampa goes better or more like they planned it and they are more, com- not contending for a title, but competing, say they're in that 45-ish win range and they look like a playoffs proper team in the top six and they can maybe win around, are they dumping Norm Powell at the deadline? Probably not. Right. So even that, like you can, the, the way the season unfolded, the fact that they fell off the way they did, not only led to Barnes, but I think it led to the, the norm trade that, you know, brought in Gary and, and everything that's come with that. So I think there are a lot of ways where that season, though, again, I know there were a lot of personal sacrifices made, but on the basketball side, it, it worked out for them. And even the Spurs thing you mentioned, yeah, sure. You know, Scotty Barnes, probably not Tim Duncan, but people forget, especially younger people forget that the Spurs had this like decade and a half almost of being a really good team, especially when David Robinson had got there. Like that, that was a perennial contender. Um, and it really was that that one year happened because of an injury to Robinson. They got Duncan. So on some level, not at the Duncan level, but on some level, I do think the Raps have potentially replicated that. Yeah. You mentioned too, Pascal and the all NBA caliber plate. If you really look at when the season turned for the Raptors, I think you can go back to New Year's Eve. And that's when you can start seeing the wins starting to pile up. That was after, so Siakam missed the first month or so with the shoulder, uh, recovering from shoulder surgery. But then after he came back, started playing well, then he had a COVID for a second time in as many seasons. After he re-returned to the lineup after COVID, started playing well late December, Raps finally started winning New Year's Eve. Since then, 
They're 26 and 15, so a tw- uh, 52 win pace. They have the fourth best record in the East behind Boston, Philly, and Miami. They're five and four against those three teams. And if you include Milwaukee in there, obviously the defending champs, they're eight and four because they swept Milwaukee. Now, a lot of people could say Giannis only played one of those three games, but they had two of their big three in all three of those games. And no one can really use injury luck as an argument against the Raptors this year, because they've had anything but pristine health. As I mentioned, yeah. they, their preferred starting fight has played 18 games together. So when you start looking at it, like they're, they've been a very, very good team, or a 50 plus win-ish team for more than half the season now. And they get to this point where they're in seventh with 10 games left. They're two games clear of Brooklyn in eight. They're a game back of Cleveland for the top six and avoiding the play in their two and a half back of Chicago in fifth. Now they've lost the tiebreaker to each. They just lost to Chicago Monday night. But I think there's still hope because if you look at it, the Raptors have one of the easiest schedules. The Cavs don't have that tough of a schedule, but the Bulls have one of the seven toughest schedules in the NBA remaining by average win percentage. They're about to embark on a five game road trip. Then they come back to Chicago for five games at home, but four of those are against winning teams. The one home game they have left against a losing team is against the Clippers, who are a pretty damn tough out. So there is not really an easy game left on the schedule for the Bulls. And then their last game of the season, they're in Minnesota for game number 82, which the way the West is looking, that game might be extremely important for the Timberwolves because it might come down to that last night of the season for whether they're in the top six or in the plan. So the Bulls don't have a penciled in win for the rest of the season. The Raptors have made it difficult on themselves, but the way I looked at it, break down the schedule, if the Raptors go 7-3 and three to close out while also beating Cleveland this week, I think they get into the top six, maybe as high as five. So the question for you now is, do you have faith as you look at this schedule? Yes, it's easy, but the Raptors haven't exactly beat up on, uh, on the bad teams in the league. You looking at the schedule, the way things are shaking out in these, do you have faith that the Raptors can go 7-3 and three with one of those seven wins being against Cleveland to jump into the top six and avoid the play. Yeah, I mean, I think the Raptors totally had that ability to do it. Uh, as you mentioned, some of the, the opposition here isn't the strongest either. Um, I think that there are two main concerns for me. Number one is is Fred Snee. Um, it's been pretty bad. Uh, so he went to the All-Star game, was named as an All-Star reserve. He totally deserved it too. He, he played really, really good basketball, was team leader. You know, while while Pascal was out for that first month, and even when Pascal defensive, like he came back and his offense was pretty sharp. I think he had like one random off game in in, in Utah, whatever, man. But like for the most part, his offense has been pretty sharp all season. Um, but his defense wasn't coming around. Even though that stretch, like Fred has been really really good for the team. But then in the two three games prior to All Star break, he started sitting on a couple games, and it was like, well, they're just resting this knee. And I thought it was just sort of injury management, or even just like. You know how teams give uh, guys rest. You know, Fred had been leading the league in minutes played at that point. Since then, he's only played like eight games since the All-Star break. He's missed a bunch of time. The Raptors have rested him for an extra week. You know, when he came back from All-Star break, which was about nine days, I know he participated in the three-point shootout and also the actual game itself. But, you know, it's not that much like demand, let's say, put on players for All-Star games. He only played like 10 minutes in the All-Star game anyway. After he came back from the break, he was like, well, I don't know. My knee didn't really feel a lot better. Uh, and then the Raptors suffered two bad losses. Then they started arresting him. Then he brought it back after a week, and he's still kind of in and out. There's still a big conversation of, like, is his knee healthy? And I think that's where when you look at the Raptors' depth, because they have gone all in on 6'9 forwards, as in, like, two-thirds of the roster are 6'9 forwards, you really have a premium and a lack of depth at the guard position almost by design. And, and to be honest, some of the guards that they have um, aren't 
good enough to to take the ball out of Scotty's hands, who can be a playmaker, Pascal's hands to be a playmaker. Fred is a different situation. Fred was like second in the NBA in threes made behind Steph Curry, which as far as I'm concerned, Steph is an alien. So that means Fred was actually leading the humans in uh, three-pointers made. You take that out of the lineup, you have Gary Trent who's been slumping, and then also he's dealing with an injury now, and OG's been hurt. You're looking at multiple games in this like, recent stretch where the Raptors would just go the entire game making single-digit and threes. This is while the entire league is scoring like 120 easily. You know, you're seeing 50-point scores every single night. That shooting element is is concerning to me, and that's the main thing I'm worried about is is can Fred get back to like somewhat close to full health, or even a not, can he play through the injury and can he manage the injury in a way? And then the other thing is just this is super weird to say, but the Raptors have really sucked at Scotiabank Arena this season no, with it's fans been in the so building. So strange. So there's seven games over 500 on the road. That's one of the best records in the in the league, like top five. When they come home, they're at one game over 500. But that actually includes a nine and three stretch without fans in the building, which means they're significantly. I think they're eight and thirteen. Yeah, they're five with, games under with fans in the building. With fans in the building, and this is so weird because this. I mean, you know, it's a very supportive crowd. This is one of the best crowds in the league too. It's just I don't know for some strange reason they haven't really been able to perform. So, yeah, they have eight of their last ten at home, but. Oddly enough, I'm not sure how much of an advantage that is for the team. So, but in most cases, it's mostly just Fred's health. If Fred can be healthy, if Gary can be healthy, and look, eventually OG is going to have to come back. He hasn't played since the All Star. You hope, yeah, you you do hope, but it's a finger injury, man. I mean, like, anyway, whatever. But a finger uh, injury that they said did not require surgery. So, I mean, we'll see. I mean, hopefully, there, there's no go back on that. But I mean, you have these guys available, and I think this team will be good, and I think yeah. they can finish the season strong. In any case, though, Pascal has been consistently good every single game. Like, it's kind of interesting watching him because he's had to play a lot of point. He's had to play a lot as the main creator. He's taken the three a little bit more now. But mostly, it's just his one-on-one game, especially in the middle of the floor. It's, it's so sharp. Defenses are basically throwing two, three guys at him all the time, throwing zone at him all the time. And he's still consistently giving you scoring. And um, I think there's just a maturity and a joy about his approach that hasn't fully been there in other years where he wasn't as much the leadership um the guy that people look for for leaderships, I think he's really embraced his role as the guy on the team, which is something that ever since Kawhi left, like that was thrust upon him. But I don't know if he was fully ready for it. I think he's he's taken the season and uh, really made it his own. And as long as Pascal's in the lineup, I think the Raptors have a good chance. Yeah, you can tell how much he's relishing the the opportunity to kind of be this like young vet in a way on this team, and especially yeah. with with Scotty, with Precious. With Chris Boucher, there are times he sometimes looks frustrated at those guys, but for the most part, it, you know, it's the arm around them. It's showing them. You can see him like miming things out on the bench during game yeah. action um, and letting guys know where to be and, and, and how to play the game. Or I'm sure it extends to the locker room as well. And you mentioned the joy too. Like Pascal, when he broke into the league as that surprising rookie who was just seemingly always in transition and fo- like finishing fast breaks off Lowry outlet passes. Like I just played with this energy and this like positive exuberance that it really was infectious. And I think he carried that, you know, through being an improving sophomore and then the most improved player in the league and the second leading scorer on a championship team. And then to an all NBA and then the bubble happened, like pandemic hits and the bubble happens. And as everyone knows like that for a variety of reasons, mm-hmm. that joy just was not there anymore. And I think Obviously, it's a very simplistic way to boil it down to say, you know, the guy's just playing with more joy, but it's, it is like so evident if you watch this team play and if you watch this guy play that he is back to, to that kind of like exuberant, smiling, always seemingly positive guy that, that we watched those first few years of his career. And that was really damn fun to watch in terms of his play. Yeah, man, like people 
trolled the spin move forever, but not many guys in the league are stopping. Like he left Vucevic in Rockford, as I joked last night, like with one spin move. No one's really stopping him in single coverage. Very few guys or teams are, and his playmaking had been improving every year, but it is so much more refined now. His handle, like once in a while in crunch time, you still see him maybe the handle's a bit too loose, but the handle has improved. Like he's just such a more complete player now as a number one guy on offense and and the defense has come back too. So I think he gives them a chance every night, but I will say, you know, even given all the ifs that you get, like, you know, if Fred is fine, if Gary's shot returns, like if OG gets, I, I think the Rodgers are capable of winning seven of 10 while beating Cleveland, but I just think there are so many ifs with this lineup because of how banged up they are right now that I don't know if I would put money on that. And so I think the safe bet might be they finish seventh. They have to deal with KD in a, in a one gamer in Toronto, which luckily I it's just KD, man. Yes. Luckily yeah. it's just KD. And listen, the Nets are streaking too. Like they're, it, I mean, I don't think they'll catch the Raptors and I think the Raptors have the, the tiebreaker too, but I don't know. It's, it's not like it's guaranteed that that game, the Raptors will finish seventh. And of course it's very imperative. The Raptors finish seventh because Obviously, Kyrie can't even play in Brooklyn right now, but it, the, all reports are that they will eventually work that yeah. out and he'll be able to play there. As long as he's not vaccinated, he can't come to Canada without yeah. a 14-day quarantine. And unless they want to rest, Ky- want to send Kyrie to Toronto and, and sit him in a hotel room for 14 days ahead of that playing game, he's not going to be a factor there. Yeah. But in any case, you're going to need to hold that seventh because I think nobody wants to see Brooklyn, period. No one wants to see KD, period. But you definitely don't want to see Katie and Kyrie, man. Kyrie has played so well when he's played. it's He's a nightmare. Yeah. And look, the thing is, too, like as much as I know you were kind of saying that tongue-in-cheek with unless they send him here two weeks early, but because of how well Charlotte has actually been playing recently, they're on a heater. They're only a game behind the Nets. Like The Nets wouldn't really even be able to afford doing that because yeah. even though I think Kyrie's only eligible to play three or four more regular season games, those regular season games are going to matter. Those three or four road games Kyrie can play in. So if they were to punt on those you know by sending him to Toronto early it might backfire on them because there's no guarantee they even finish eighth and are playing mm-hmm. Toronto they might have to beat the 10th place team first at home then go to Toronto or Charlotte so I think there are too many ifs for them there but th- the scary thing of you know we were saying even if it was just KD I pointed this out a few weeks ago in a piece I wrote but if you look at the Nets uh performance with Kevin Durant on the court this season without either of James Harden or Kyrie Irving. When it's just Durant out of their stars, and obviously Ben Simmons hasn't played either, the Nets net rating is still like plus eight almost per 100%. That's in line with the best teams in the league. So this team that if you look at the supporting cast, when when Harden wasn't there, when Kyrie doesn't play, obviously with Simmons still out, the supporting cast looks mediocre at best, like the t- kind of team that would be scraping probably just to get into playing in 10th. When Kevin Durant's on the court, that team somehow performs like the best team in the league or one of the best teams in the league. So as bad as they've looked at times this season, I want no part of a one-gamer against Kevin Durant. And I don't care who the other four guys are. You and I could be two of the other guys of the four, okay? And I I would still say Kevin Durant has a chance, okay? Like, despite the fact that there is footage of both of us playing at the annual uh, Raptors Republic tournament, and it's not not kind to either of us. And yet I'm still saying Kevin Durant would, would give us a chance. What's up, Pound the Rock listeners? Just a friendly reminder to rate, review, and subscribe to the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. You can also check out the Score's Fantasy Football Podcast with Justin Boone. And in case you haven't already, download the Score app, available on iPhone and Android. That's where you can find all of our featured content, as well as live scores, updates, and breaking news. And don't forget to check out The Score's YouTube page for an informative yet lighthearted dive into the sports world's trending topics. 
Now back to the show. In terms of the way the Raptors match up, the other teams in the East, I mentioned earlier um, when you were talking about how well they've played against the best teams, they are 8-4 and four against the combination of Milwaukee, Miami, Philly, and Boston. They are seemingly built to tr- trouble, you know, good teams yeah. and good players with the length and the defense. As you go through those top teams in the East, imagine the Raptors are in the playoffs and they're somewhere in that five to eight range by the time the play-in's done and whether they get in the playoffs proper. And it's one of those four teams. Is there one of those four between Milwaukee, Miami, Philly, Boston that you think is most beatable for the Raptors? And is there one that you think they absolutely have no chance to beat four of seven? Yeah, I mean, no chance to be four of seven is a little aggressive. Like, I think um, – so the Raptors played Philly really well this uh, this past weekend, but I still feel like in a seven-game series, there are some real mismatches there, and I think that um, Nick can definitely out-scheme Doc Rivers on an in-game basis, but between games, I think Doc has probably more weapons just because he has the best two players in that series. I don't really like that Philly matchup, quite honestly. But I think for me, like, oddly enough, when you talk about who the Raptors match up with best – I would say Milwaukee, which is super weird. Because, I look, I, I think, look, they're the reigning champions. Giannis did what he did last year. Obviously, I'm very aware of what he did, right? 50 points to close out the series. Uh, it, it was incredible, right? Um, I don't know. The Raptors just have good players to match up with what Milwaukee likes to do. First off, you need to throw a body at Giannis. The Raptors actually have... Lots of bodies. That you they have about 13 Giannis. of them that profile I mean, well to throw a Giannis. Basically, Masai Ujiri, president of the Raptors, has an obsession with Giannis. And <laughs> in lieu of getting Giannis, he's just replaced the team with as many Giannis lookalikes. Yeah. The Raptors literally have Giannis's brother in the G League too. Okay, yeah. so But in any case, so, like I actually think they can throw multiple bodies at those guys. I think they can cover Drew Holiday really well. Um, they have always done really, really good job of limiting Chris Middleton. Chris Middleton really does not play like an all-star against the Raptors. They really swarm him to get attack the ball. And I think the one thing for me is just like, is Brooke Lopez healthy? Is Serge Ibaka healthy? Because if these guys aren't healthy, all of a sudden the Bucks are a much smaller team than they had been in the past. And the Raptors can get on them in the offensive glass. They can use their, their length. They can get out in transition. Um, that could be a really tough team for Milwaukee. And look, I'm not just saying this because the Raptors are 3-0 against Milwaukee this season, and they've just – I mean, they, they beat them last year when they were in Tampa too. Like, this is just a team they don't match up well against. Um, I think for me, the probably the worst matchup outside of Philly, and maybe Philly's not even the worst matchup, it's probably Boston. Like, they're so hot right now, and with the way they're able to switch and play one-on-one defense, that's the thing the Raptors don't fully have a lot of is just great one-on-one scores. Yeah. I don't think they even have one great one-on-one <laughs> score. As much as Pascal's doing a great job, Let's be real. I don't think Pascal wants to see Boston in the playoffs either. So. Who's their best pure? Like, if you look at a pure shot creator on the Raptors, probably Gary Trent. And yeah, and that's a problem. That's a that. exactly. You're not no. winning a series with Gary Trent as your primary shot creator, man. Exactly. And against a team like Boston, you're gonna have to. You you need guys who can create their own shots and create yeah. offense, something from nothing, you know. And I, I agree with you. I don't know if the Raptors have the offensive goods, the half court goods. Definitely not to hang. Yeah, with hang is maybe extreme, but to beat Boston four out of seven, I don't think they've got the the half court goods. Yeah, I mean, look, listen, I I think Boston is playing so well right now. You, you could make the argument that they could be the best team in the Eastern Conference. Like that's how well they're playing. Tatum is just on an absolute heater. Like he's incredible, right? So it's it's just a matchup thing, and I think they would force the Raptors to play one on one. I mean, look, I, I think they've given Siakam trouble in the past too, not just in the bubble, not just in his yeah. downtime. Like they they have frequently troubled Pascal Siakam. 
Yeah, and and the weird thing this season is because the way the Raptors are structured in terms of like their their bench all season has really not scored for them. It's gone better of late. Chris Boucher has really improved his performances. You know, Precious Achua's turned this season around, although now he's in the starting lineup. But their bench scoring has not been good, and also they don't have a lot of shooting. So what you're seeing is a lot of double teams for Pascal and Fred, and a lot of zone against these teams. The thing is, they've actually been really good when these guys get face double teams. They're passing the ball out. They're finding the next pass. I'm not worried about that. I'm more worried about when teams don't double team, play it straight up, one-on-one, switch the way the Celtics do. That's when I'm really actually worried about the Raptors in terms of their offense. Because the weirdest thing about this team is that they, they almost take a money ball approach to winning games in 2022. They really win the possession battle. That's the inefficiency maybe that the Raptors have identified. Because and, and shout awesome. out Joe Wolfon, by the way, who wrote about this a few yes. months ago. Our, you know, our own Joe Wolfon, co-host here at Pound the Rock, who wrote about this and, and the fact that the Raptors, the whole point of it is that take the ball and don't give it back. Essentially end up with more shots than the opponents. Nick Nurse has talked about it too. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like the Raptors, t- on average, take seven more shots than their opponent. The reason they do that is because they're second in the league in offensive rebounding. Um, you know, they're really great at turning the ball. Number over. one. Yeah, they force 14% of opposing uh, possessions are turnovers. The Raptors are really good at taking care of possession. They're not that great at taking care of their own rebounds uh, on the defensive end, but that's how they just win a lot of possessions. And when you look at their actual like effective field goal percentage, it's not high. Um, the Raptors are 27th in effective field goal percentage. Like They're literally, it's like the Raptors and then three tanking teams. Uh, and they don't even play fast either. And, and, and part of that is not just because like, because they, they will play fast and then they score in transition, but they don't play fast in the sense that possessions take a lot longer for them to execute on average because they don't have guys who can just like catch and shoot from three quickly outside of Fred and Gary. And so you have to sort of more methodically work against them. And you're seeing teams like essentially play. I mean, we've seen teams play zone for three full quarters against the Raptors. And it works. <laughs> and it works too. So. I don't know. It's a it, it's a weird team. It's a really strange team to to watch. I think it's actually really interesting because they're kind of in year one of like a experimental rebuild where they really want to go centerless. They basically want to go guardless as well. You'll see them frequently play four or even five, six, nine forwards at the same time. And while that does introduce spacing issues, there is also real tangible advantages in terms of what they can create as well. And I think in year one, especially with some of these guys being more raw, more new to the system. It will take time for them to learn it, but when it works, it really does work. Like they held Philly to 88 points, and I know the the week before that, you know, you, you were on my program, and we were talking about Philly, and we we're like, how many teams in the league have guys who can guard both Embiid and Hard? Well, the Raptors might have one. Impressive. Yeah, yeah. Like, yeah, he did it the other night. He did it. He guarded yeah. Embiid and then guarded Harden and also guarded Maxi at point. Like, yeah. And that, that's just by design. Like the Raptors yeah. loved kind of doing this stuff. So look, I think ultimately. The Raptors are going to be a very scrappy team in the first round. They can probably get by, let's say, a Chicago if they turn their season around. Although right now they're trying to get past Chicago just in the standings, period. It will be a little bit of a surprise to see the Raptors get out of the first round, but they're going to be a really tough team for a lot of teams to play. And I think for the Raptors this year, like, I'm not saying they're playing with house money because I don't want to like invalidate their efforts so far, but it's already been a really nice year for them. And they're looking to get into playoffs, not necessarily to win the championship this year, but to get some uh, playoff experience for a young group that you really would project to do really well in, in the seasons moving forward. Even in terms of the, you know, you mentioned like when they go guardless and centerless, mm-hmm. that is the kind of versatility 
when you combine it with Nick Nurse's defensive creativity that allowed them to, for example, completely, maybe not neutralize, but contain Nikola Jokic in a game where theoretically you go into that saying, well, Nikola Jokic has an obvious advantage in this matchup because of his size against the center of his team. Same thing, you know, less than a week later against Joel Embiid. You go in and you say... The size advantage is just too much. And even I've said over the course of a series that that it, but the fact that Embiid has this just gargantuan advantage, it's the biggest advantage in a potential Raptors-Philly matchup would obviously be Joel Embiid against the Raptors, like in yeah. that series. And so you'd think that should win out eventually. But again, when they actually match up, that length and versatility and nurse creativity does consistently flummox Embiid. And the same thing it did with Jokic. You had a combination of those guys and a bunch of different guys taking turns fronting or doubling Jokic and well-timed doubles in the post while they put extreme pressure on the ball. Like there are things they can do where even when the opponent should have the obvious theoretical advantage, it doesn't necessarily play out like that. Mm -hmm. And so this kind of like funky experiment that you referenced, it might not result in any playoff series wins this year. You know, betting money says it probably won't, but I do think it's going to trouble the hell out of, out of a team in the top half of the East. And, you know, like I've got an unfiltered video on the scores YouTube page coming out this week where I talk about this, but one of the things that, you know, you have to keep in mind when you're looking at like a potential title contender early in the first round is it's pretty rare that a team gets pushed hard in the first round and survives to win a title. Mm-hmm. The 2014 Spurs went the distance and the 2008 Celtics went the distance in the first round. You take those teams out a team hasn't won the championship after even playing more than five games in the first round in eight years since those 2014 Spurs. So like a team getting pushed by this kind of, you know, lengthy torture chamber of the Raptors all power forward lineup early in the first round, even if the Raptors don't win a series, could actually impact the title chase as the playoffs um, continued. Look, you had Jason Tatum on JJ Reddick's podcast a couple of weeks ago, came out and basically said he believes the reason they couldn't beat Miami in the 2020 Eastern Conference Finals in the bubble is because of what the Raptors essentially took from them in that grueling mm-hmm. seven-game series beforehand. So this is a very Eastern Conference-wide relevant thing to watch the Raptors right now and to hope that your potential title-contending favorite team avoids them in, in the first round especially because no contender wants that kind of struggle in the first round. No, no, definitely. And I think, look, this probably is going to apply for the rest of the East too. Like, I, I really don't see easy matchups for anybody. Like, I know people might catch Cleveland and they're they're banged up, but they should get Jared Allen back for the playoffs. And I think people have always identified Chicago as, okay, they're having a nice season, but, you know, they're going to tail off a little bit. And we've seen that tail off happen, although some of that's injury-related. But, I mean, ultimately, those are st- it's still a very tough team to play against Chicago, and I don't envision them getting swept out of the playoffs or anything like that. So this is probably going to happen for a lot of teams. But I think, in particular, the Raptors just have a very unique thing that they're going to be throwing at a lot of teams. It's going to be very difficult for them and I think the one thing we haven't really mentioned is just like the coaching that Nick Nurse brings in in a, in a series like this where you're coaching against Nick and the things that he could do to you you know he's obviously known for the box and one um, that he put out to win the NBA finals against Steph Curry and he, he'll just do that like he's he's consistently gonna be able to uh, put out these types of schemes where he's zoning you he's he's gonna go with the box and one he's gonna press you full core and you might say well some of these things I mean come on how much are team's going to consistently be beat by a full core press you'd be surprised i'm just saying you'd be surprised and i think nick has a really good sense of like how his team's going to get together really for the raptors just about getting healthy because when they have their top seven available the rest of the raptors are like 12 and 6 this season so they just need to get their guys healthy and look fred's knee is probably going to be a lingering issue and we'll see if Ochi comes back before that and obviously gary's dealing with a little toe thing right now but 
when those guys are going to be there and I anticipate all those guys being in there for the playoffs. Like this is a team that a lot of teams aren't going to want to see. And, um, you know, for the Raptors, just hopefully for them, they don't have to play in through the to go through the play-in thing because it, it would really suck for the Raptors to have this really nice year, do really well, and then all of a sudden they got to be like, all right, well, you got KD just for a one-game playoff yeah. for the seventh seed, and then you get to play one of Trey Young or Lamelo Ball yeah. for uh, the the last seed in the in the conference, while probably would pick the Raptors as favorites in that game. But if Fred's knee is going to be bad, are you really going to have him chase around Trey Young or Lamelo Ball? It doesn't sound great. So yeah. look, the playing tournament does have its disadvantages. Obviously, if you're in the seven eight spots, but you know the Raptors have that chance to get out of it. And as you mentioned, if they finish strong in the last ten, they could. This would be just a very very enjoyable year, and you can kind of go into the playoffs with a bit of um, the feeling that you're you're playing with house money. 100%. It's a shame that Fred Van Vliet took his Kyle Lowry cosplay so seriously and I learned from so much that he also uh, got, he also became the point guard that the team became too over-reliant on and had to play him 47 and a half minutes a game. Obviously, that's an exaggeration, but really, it, it really is like he took the Lowry blueprint where it's the team is so reliant on him that they had to overplay him to survive the first half of the season, if not more. And then by the time the all-star break gets here, the guy's worn down and now you're trying to manage his pain going into the play. Like it, this really is the Kyle Lowry playbook for most of Kyle Lowry's time in Toronto. Yeah. It's really funny. uh, The parallels there. And um, yeah, I don't know, man. (laughs) I don't know. It's, uh, it's, it's probably the most concerning thing for me along with the fact that you know, if you do see KD in a one-game series, again, even without Kyrie, I, I just don't want that. I, I just please, can the Raptors just win, like, beat Cleveland yeah. and and win a few of these winnable games at home and just put yourself in a good position where you don't have to stress about these things. The injuries have come at just the worst time, too. You tweeted it last night. The Raptors have played 15 games in the last 25 days and for the most part, I've been in a different city for all those games, just based on the way the road trip happened. And they came to Toronto for only one game and they were back on the road. So it feels like it's not lining up well for them. But then again, I look at the schedule and I'm like, look at the Bulls schedule. I'm like, they still have a chance here to get into that top six. Um, yeah. Okay. We've, I think, talked enough about this season. I'm going to let you go soon. The one thing I want to know from you is because I was going through the East um, yeah. today and I was going through it and I was trying to think like, is there, based on the way Scotty Barnes has looked, through this rookie year and the fact that they do have a nice blend of like young talent like that with precious even Gary and still in their prime, if not maybe a couple years of getting better left and Fred and Pascal, I was trying to think like, is there a team in the East that I would 100% take their future over the Raptors? I came up with Milwaukee simply because of Giannis. Like I think Giannis is good enough and is under now team control for long enough that even though I don't have a lot of faith in the Bucks continually building properly around Giannis, I think he's so good that just them being able to say, we have this guy under team control the next half decade plus, I think I'd have to still give it to them. Mm. Begrudgingly though. But when you go past that, like, I don't know, are you are you 100% convinced that the Sixers will consistently build a better team than the Raptors going forward just because they have Joel Embiid? I'm not. Yeah. They can barely do it now with him and James Harden. Boston maybe because of Jason Tatum and, and the way they've built. Cleveland, I get like, I guess my question would be like, would you take Evan Mobley and Darius Garland or Scotty Barnes and insert one of, I guess, Fred or OG or Pascal for the next few years. Again, it's an argument to be made, but I don't think you can 100% you know, rule out either way. So in terms of like, when you start projecting the future, can, can you pick one team in the East? Or do you think there is a team in the East that you would say for sure is built better future-wise right now than the Raptors? Yeah, this is a great way to, uh, to, to think about the future of the Raptors. 
I think for me, like, I agree with you. I actually don't think I would take Milwaukee, quite honestly. Well, I, the fact that Drew Holiday and Chris Middleton are 30 and, you know, um, Brooke Lopez is 30 and they've exhausted a lot of their assets, obviously, in trading for um, the players to win now and stuff like that. Like, I actually don't – like, who was the young guy on the Bucks that, that's going to help supply Giannis in the future? I have no idea. Right. I don't think there is one, right? And they're not going to pick high in the standings because or in the draft because of how good Giannis is going to be consistently. So I actually wouldn't take Milwaukee. I don't think they have a lot of flexibility. Their team is what that is, which is great. It's a championship contender. I mean, you know, but, you know, I, I wouldn't fully take that. I, I think Cleveland, for me, like, the fact that you have Mobley, you have – Garland and Garland's like making a case for all all NBA third team guard. Like he's been so freaking good. And then you have Jared Allen, who's young and you're also signed him to a four year or five year deal. Like that's pretty good in Cleveland. Like I don't think Cleveland's going to be falling off anytime soon unless LeBron wants to go there and trade everybody, which, um, you know, maybe, maybe that should happen. I don't know. LeBron seems to really love going to Cleveland. And the the thing is that that would, yeah. Then the Raptors would lose to them anyway, even if they did trade everyone, uh, once LeBron got there, they'd lose to them anyway. You're right. That's not, that's not ideal either. Um, and then, yeah, I think the Celtics are probably the the other team I take over the Raptors just because of how good Tatum has been. Like if you told me like as, as soon as, I don't know, two years from now that Tatum is the best player in the Eastern Conference, I wouldn't be surprised. He's been that good this yep. year. And and that's – especially the second half of the year where the Celtics have turned it around. Maybe that's just a, overrating this, them right now based on how good they've been. But how do you not overrate the team that's been like 20-4? and four Yeah, with the best defense. Like two months. Yeah. Best defense, I think number four offense since that time. Um, best yeah. point differential in the league since that time. <laughs> Um, but I mean, listen. Top three is pretty, pretty good. Like it's really good. And the thing with the Raptors is, not only do they have youth, they have flexibility because they can move some of these pieces around. If you could see an opportunity to balance the team in a way that is maybe more advantageous, you can move an OG Anobi if you want to and get a lot in return. You can move a Gary Trent Jr. if you want get a lot in return. You know, and, and you already have some really nice core pieces around. Plus the fact that Scotty is like a co rookie of the year favorite with Evan Mobley. And so you're going to have him under control for like eight years. Yeah. So you're chilling, really. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Team like Milwaukee, uh, sorry, Miami even. Yeah. I mean, Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry aren't right. getting any younger. No. So unless you think you'd take Bam Adebayo and, and Tyler Hero over Scotty Barnes and one of Pascal, no, you're not doing that. And no, I no. mean, could they get Bradley Beal? Sure, but we can only go by what it is right now or what. We can I mean, pitch. I wouldn't put it past Miami to get a star player out of nothing. No, I wouldn't either. You can, every Pat, year. Pat Riley, come on. Pat Riley was South Beach behind them. Anything's possible. Yeah. Uh, but as it stands right now, future-wise, I wouldn't project them higher than the Raptors. No, I, th- I think I think you kind of nailed it there in that like top three-ish if we were projecting outwards towards the future. And I think the fact that they've positioned themselves like that while also winning or at least competing in the present, I don't really think Raptors fans can ask for much more right now. We'll see you know, as the years progress. Yeah, they're ahead of schedule for sure. Yeah. All right, before I let you go, Will, I do want to uh, give this week's fan shout-out to Corey in Toronto. Corey reached out via Twitter. Corey R. on Twitter said he started listening because Alex Wong said it was his favorite podcast, and now he never misses Ooh. an episode. So I wanted to save that shout-out for today because it was a good way to uh, shout-out your partner. Thanks, Alex, for, for getting Corey R. hooked on Pound the Rock. And, yeah, uh, I don't think Alex is lying, by the way. I think he he's always talking about <laughs> listening to the recent episode. He's, he's, I mean, he's a diehard podcast listener anyway he'll listen to like most episodes and of everything um but he definitely loves the show and if there was a fourth member of of pound the rock i guess alex would be him because we did bring in alex anytime you know 
if you weren't there or if, yeah. if Wolfon weren't there, we would always just grab Alex. He um, would sometimes so. sit in the recording studio while we recorded early episodes That's of right. Rock, even when he wasn't a guest. Like right. he was just like yeah. a super. It was like having an audience of one. That's a sickle um, behavior I, right there. I, I I've said it so many times on this show. I'll say it again. I do not exaggerate when I say Alex Wong promotes Pound the Rock more than Joe Wolfon and I do. Like Wolfon and I will share when a new episode's up on Twitter. You know, I'll share it on Twitter and Instagram, but Alex will share it on every platform. He'll put it in his Instagram story. Yeah. So appreciate you, Alex. Appreciate you uh, getting us another fan in Corey R. And Will, we very much appreciate you. Raptors fans appreciate you and all that you do in the uh, Raptors space, in media, on social media. And again, don't think I have to tell any Raptors fans listening, but in case there are casual NBA fans out there who like listening in on teams around the league, you've got to listen to Will and Alex on the Raptors show with Will Lou, Monday to Friday, 2 to 3 p.m. Eastern on Sportsnet Fan 590. Will, thanks for joining us, man. I appreciate it, Cash. You know, I'm always down to, to come home and do this pod, you know, so I appreciate you, seriously. All right, thanks again to Will Lou, the Pound the Rock OG. Thanks to Corey R. again on the shout-out. Thanks to all of you for listening and uh, for an absent Joel Wolfon, but just for one more episode, an absent Joel Wolfon, and then we'll get him back, and we'll be back to regularly scheduled programming. Uh, but for a still absent Joel Wolfon, I'm Joseph Cacharo. Pound the Rock.